Well, sisters and brothers, a, a recent study found that a mere, watch this, 12% of U.S. consumers had finished their holiday shopping as of December 12th. All done, completely. And you know those are the people who bragged all about it, too, on Facebook, right? But how about this? 6% of people said they will still be shopping today. They're not in church because they're shopping today. And if that's not even the worst, another 5% said their final gifts won't be bought until after Christmas. Can you say 90% off? Amen. The National Retail Federation expects holiday retail sales in November and December to increase 3.6 up to 4% from last year for a grand total of, write this down, for a grand total of $682 billion. Six hundred eighty two billion dollars all to celebrate that a baby was born in a cave. We'll talk about that in some other time. And then I told the kids I wouldn't forget that we're going to call Jesus Joshua just for this one time. It's a Sunday school thing. Forgive me. Inside joke. But those of you who know your Bible understand where it comes from, too. Ain't that right, youth people? Yes, very good. <laughs> now, sisters and brothers, understand, I'm not against gift giving, of course, but I got to say, in a world of put your money where your mouth is, 300, excuse me, $682 billion seems to suggest that we've got a pretty big mouth, don't we? And if we're not careful, I think with all of our big mouth spending and all of our big mouth doing and goings and comings, getting ready for and getting prepared to celebrate Christmas, if we're not careful, we could miss the real and the big thing that God is actually trying to do in our hearts and in the world. We could be so caught up in what we've thought to be most important that we miss what is most sacred. And most holy. Now, to be sure, if we fall into that trap, we wouldn't be alone. In fact, we'd be in good company because I think in our story that we heard from Scripture today, from Second Samuel, we, we have another instance where somebody kind of did the same thing. You have King David, who at this point, we're told, has he's been in the battle, he's traveled, he does, he's done a lot to to build the kingdom up. He's done a lot of good things, and he's at a point in his uh, kingdomship, in his reign, where he can take a rest. (sighs) And in his rest, as he is there thinking about all the things that he's been a part of and all the ways that he is sure God has given him victory and God has cared for him, he gets an idea that comes in his mind. You know what? I'm sitting in this big old house. Oh, it's a glorious house that I'm in. I should give God a house like this, too. I should give God, the creator of the universe, the God of all creation, I should give God a big house like this, because that's probably what that God needs. Amen? No. That's like getting your wife a vacuum for Christmas. 
Guys, I dare you to give your wife a vacuum for Christmas. But don't blame me if something happens to you. But here you have David. He says, I, I, I want to give God this, this glorious house that I know God deserves. Can you imagine how much that would have cost David? Can you imagine the bill on that? How much it would have cost to build this extravagant temple for God. Now, not only does David have his own approval, not only does he think, man, this is a great idea. What could be wrong about giving God something so grand and so beautiful? He even gets the prophet's approval. The king would generally have a prophet was sort of their spiritual go to guy where that person would set uh, the king straight if need be. This is the same Nathan a few chapters later that will tell King David, you're the man I'm talking about. If you remember that story of David and Bathsheba. But even in this case, King David has the approval of Nathan. He tells Nathan, hey, I got this idea. I want to build God a big house. Nathan says, you go do whatever you want. Those are dangerous words, sisters and brothers. Do whatever is in your heart. Don't we hear that on TV? We hear that. Follow your heart. That could be some of the dangerous advice you ever receive. Amen. But let's give Nathan credit. And maybe there's a lesson in, in that part of the story just in and of itself. When we get our own ideas, we get our own influences, we get our own understandings of what we think we need to do and what needs to happen next. We feel like God is on our side. God, of course, is going to bless whatever we do. There's nothing wrong with this. So Nathan tells David, yeah, you go ahead, do whatever's in your heart. But then at night, you can imagine Nathan he's kind of wrestling a little bit and he feels something and he feels the voice of God saying, I need you to do something. Nathan, you go tell King David, I said no. And to his credit, the prophet Nathan gets up the next day and he goes and tells King David, um, you know, about that big idea you had. Um, about me telling you it was a good idea and you should go for it. About that, God said no. Now, it's the reason why God said no that I think is so important for us today. It's so, it's so Im- important to what we're celebrating as we're getting ourselves ready for Christmas. God tells Nathan, you tell David, when have I ever asked for a big house? For so long, I have walked with you and the people. I have brought the people to redemption. I have walked with them in the wilderness, all while being inside of a tent. And in that small, itty-bitty tent, it wasn't that small, but in this place, this mobile place, I was with the people of God. I had everything I needed, and you had everything you needed. God tells David, and I think maybe he's trying to give a clue into us that maybe as much as David would have wanted to say he he was doing this for God, maybe there was a sense that he's also doing it for himself. He could be the king that would build the great temple of God. He would be the one that people would look back and say, he's the one that did this for God and for us. But what God says is, At least right now, I don't need that. And neither do you. And neither 
do we? And I wonder if part of the story as well reminds us of our tendency. God tells David that I have been with you and I have gone with you place to place to place to place. We have done great things. You have seen me do mighty things from here to here to here. But our tendency after a while, sisters and brothers, is to bring in the reign of God right here. Because right here is where we're a little bit more comfortable. Right here is where we feel like we can keep things a little more controlled. I, <laughs> I never forget one of our uh, churches, it's been years ago, we did one of the living uh, nativities in church, inside the church. And we had uh, baby Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, they came in. Uh, and we, we even got, we even got, a real donkey to come into church. Now, I don't know if you know this about real donkeys, but real donkeys do real donkey things. So here we brought baby Jesus, Mary, Joseph into the church, and we brought this real donkey in, and this real donkey started doing real donkey things inside the church. And you can imagine, what's he doing? Because I think we're just so used to the pretty Christmas cards that we forget that this is a real story. That this is a real thing. And with all real things, there are beautiful parts of it. (laughs) And there are real parts of it, too. But when we try to keep everything neat and tidy right here, what we're trying to do is keep God under control. Sisters and brothers, I don't know how much you listen to me on a regular basis, but I hope you listen to me say this. Don't try to keep God reined in. The power of God moves throughout the world. The power of God has continually moved throughout the world. It is not our business to try to reign in God. In fact, it is to our detriment when we say, God, you can do this, this, and this right here. We'll let you move all you want right here. We'll let you have all the glory in here. But make sure you keep it in here. Now, we don't actually say that with our words. But when you pay attention to some of the things we do with our lives, it becomes clear that we have this expectation that all God stuff happens in here. If we get kind of lucky, maybe something neat happens out there. But what God tells David, I think, is the same thing God would tell us today. You can't hold me back in here. I am moving through the world. I have been and I am ready to do my kind of things. All you and I have to do is be open to see what God is doing. Be open to see how God is moving in the world around us and even in our hearts, even when we're not in a sanctuary, even if it's not a Sunday morning, do you know that God can do great things on a Tuesday afternoon? Even, dare I say, a Monday. Monday. 
God is God, sisters and brothers. And we have no business trying to keep God right here, especially just because it's comfortable to us. We had gotten into a tradition where we were hosting Christmas Eve services at a nursing home. The reason why we started doing this, we were working with a nursing home and the residents there, and uh, we noticed that when we go, they're always happy to see somebody there because their sad reality is for a lot of people who are residents in nursing homes, they get brought to a nursing home and they get forgotten. And I try to get people to come, oh, you know, we're going to go, we're going to have communion, we're going to sing some songs. Oh, no, pastor, I can't go there. It's too sad. Or, or my favorite, it smells kind of funny. And because it smells kind of funny, it's too sad, we say, I, I just can't do that. You know why? Because here's God right here. And it's not very comfortable to us. And so we decided we were going to say, you know what? Everybody's busy on Christmas Eve. You've got 5% of people who are out buying gifts today, right now. They're so busy getting everything ready for Christmas. We decided that we were going to go to the nursing home on Christmas Eve because nobody was going to the nursing home on Christmas Eve. And then not only were we going, we were going to sing some songs, we were going to have a service like so many of those people remember having. And I remember we would do those services, and we wouldn't, it wouldn't be very long, 20, 30 minutes. We'd sing some of the familiar songs, but we always ended with the Christ candle. We couldn't give the residents candlelights for obvious reasons, but we'd light this candle in front of all of them, and I would walk by them so they could see the candle again. And I got to tell you, when we would go, like, during the month, every time, they'd, they'd be happy to see you. They'd smile, and they'd be so glad you were there. But there was something different I saw when people would see this Christ candle walk before them. There, there was a joy that wasn't quite the same kind of joy when they see me before. Because everybody's joy is when they usually see me on regular occasions, right? But with this candle on Christmas Eve, there was a joy in those people's eyes that I know was from God. That on Christmas Eve, God was moving in great ways in a nursing home. There was no big production, no grand entry, just the people of God hearing again the story of Emmanuel. You believe it or not, but that's power. That's the power of God. And what I know is when we would go into the nursing home and we would see that joy in their hearts, what we realized is that we could have given them the $682 billion right there. And it still wouldn't have mattered nearly as much as us just being there. Because, sisters and brothers, that is what God has given to us. God has given us himself. And part of the problem I have with the $682 billion, besides thinking of all the things that we could be doing with lasting consequences, good consequences for the entire world, besides that, the problem I have is that we tend to put the true gift of God on the back burner. That we'll get around to celebrating Christmas, that we'll get through all the gifts, all the tamales, we'll get through everything. Oh yeah, uh, Jesus' silent night. 
Was, were they having church tonight? Was that tonight? Yes, it's tonight. Christmas. Christmas. Yes. I'm sorry. We put the gift of God on the back burner and that we don't even realize it. We say we want to get all these great gifts and, and though we're not giving them to God, we're celebrating God when we give it to each other, but we don't even realize God is saying, I don't need that. Matter of fact, I have something better to give to you. And what God gives to us is his presence. And what God has given to us is most important because God is the ultimate gift giver. Back to our story, you see, God tells David that you won't merely be a builder of the house. That's what David wanted to do. He said, you know what, I'm going to build this house for you, God. God says, no, 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 no. I've got something to give to you. You're not just going to be a builder of a house. I am going to build you into a house that will be eternal. So you may have a plan of what you want to do, but I'm going to suggest to you, sisters and brothers, that God's got something better. But you've got to be open to it. You've got to say, God, I'm sorry I've put you in here. It's time for me to get you out of there and realize you've never been there to begin with. I want to open myself up to what you would have me do, where you would lead me. I want to experience the gift that you have given to the entire world like I have never experienced it before. That's the Merry Christmas, y'all. Because God gives himself. And I wonder if maybe we should try to do the same thing. That maybe we need to understand that maybe there's more of ourself that we can give to each other. That would mean a whole lot more than anything else you could buy anywhere. I found something online I wanted to share with you. I don't usually share these kind of things, but I thought it was it's very good. It's 1 Corinthians 13, right? We know 1 Corinthians 13. That's the love chapter, right? <laughs> well, I have 1 Corinthians 13 Christmas style, and I want you to see how this ties into what we're talking about today. If I decorate my house perfectly with lovely plaid bows and strands of tweakling lights and shiny glass balls but do not show love to my family, I'm just another decorator. If I slave away in the kitchen baking dozens of Christmas cookies and tamales, preparing gourmet meals and tamales for my pastor, and arranging a beautifully adorned table at mealtime, but do not show love to my family, I'm just another cook. If I work at the soup kitchen, Carol in the nursing home and give all that I have to charity, but don't show love even to my family. It profits me nothing. If I trim the spruce spruce with shimmering angels and crocheted snowflakes, attend a myriad of holiday parties and sing in the choir's cantata, but do not focus on Christ. I have missed the point. Love stops the cooking to hug the child. Love Sets aside the decorating to kiss the husband. Love is kind, though it's harried and tired. Love doesn't envy another home that has coordinated Christmas china and table linens. 
Love doesn't yell at the kids to get out of your way. Love doesn't give only to those who are able to give in return, but rejoices in giving to those who can't. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Video games will break. Pearl necklaces will be lost. Golf clubs will rust. But giving the gift of love will endure. Sisters and brothers, understand this, that nothing you do for God will ever surpass what God has already done for you. But maybe, maybe sometimes when we receive that gift again, when we understand what it really means for us as God's people, maybe like David, we say, you know, I need to do something. I need to build something. I need to respond to this grace. And maybe there's a time to do that. But maybe some other times, maybe it's the most sacred and holy thing you can do to just receive the gift. To just receive it. Just to hear the story proclaimed. Just to imagine that God is doing this, not just for the people of God, but God is doing this for you. And receive it. God, I take this gift. God, I'm not going to worry about having a perfect Christmas. I'm not going to worry that everything's in order. I'm not even going to worry if the family's going to get along. I'm not worried about that. The only thing I want to have as my priority is receiving the gift that you would give to me. And sisters and brothers, if you want to have that kind of Christmas and if you want to be blessed by God in that way, I'm going to invite you to open your heart. For some of us, maybe the first time we ever say anything like this, but I want you to open your heart and I want you to pray with me as we ask God to help us do just that. Lord, quite often we, we hear Christmas repeated to us over and over. And often we hear it repeated, but we don't hear it with a faithful heart. So we ask God that you would forgive us. Forgive us for making Christmas about so many other things other than the one true gift it really is. We ask, Lord, that you would free us now. Free us from worrying about what the holidays are supposed to look like. Free us from thinking about things that really don't matter. But help us to see the joy of the gift of our Lord Jesus given to us. And help each one of us, Lord, to receive that gift with an open heart, with thankfulness and hope. All in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.